You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of Ruth. We're calling A Return to Joy. With this week's message, here's pastor to middle adults, Joe Cook. So I love a good story. I bet you do too. In fact, when it's a really good story, I don't mind hearing it more than once. Maybe you're the same way. That worked out really well for my relationship with my grandfather. I called him Daddy Jim. Daddy Jim was born in 1901, and as I got to be a young adult, he was still around. And he loved to tell stories, and he loved to tell them over and over again, and I loved to listen to them. I really loved the ones about the early days of his life, because the world was so different then. 1901, over 120 years ago. When he was eight years old, his family were living in Eastland, Texas, and they decided, hey, let's go check out that new state of Oklahoma. It only been a state for a couple of years. So at eight years old, my grandfather on horseback with his dad, they traveled 150 miles north to Oklahoma, and they scouted out the land, and they said, yes, this is the land that we're going to, we're going to come to, and they moved the family from Eastland to southern Oklahoma, and they got there, and they started to settle in, and then Mama, Daddy Jim's Mama, got sick. Well, they loved Mama, and they were going to do what they had to do for her, and a doctor came along, and he said, you know, with her condition, she'd really be better off living in New Mexico. Well, they just moved to Oklahoma, but their devotion to her, their love for her, they loaded up their, their belongings on a train, and they moved to New Mexico. They went out to New Mexico, and he told me great stories about being in New Mexico. We don't have time for all of them. He was working on ranches. He was a teenager by then. He cowboyed while he was out there. He busted Bronx. He worked for one rancher who had a herd of buffalo, and he got the kind of rad nursemaid over this, this herd of buffalo. And, and then, but Mama was getting sick again. And so another doctor comes along and says, you know what, she really would be better off back where you were in southern Oklahoma. So guess what? They're going to go back. But this time the doctor says, but you know, she really needs to go slow. Well, how slow? Well, about as slow as you can go. So they loaded up all their belongings in covered wagons. And they made a 30-day journey from New Mexico back to southern Oklahoma. And on that journey, they had a lot of pitfalls and dangers and trials that came up. A storm came up on them. My granddad was driving his own, his own uh, wagon at the time, and he said he slept alone in that wagon with the wind whipping it back and forth. And he said, I didn't know when I woke up if mama and daddy were even going to be there when I woke up. And as they were going along, one of their horses gave birth, and the foal's, the foal's hooves were so tender on the trail was so hard that his mama sewed little leather boots to put on them, and she tied them on there, and so now the little, the little foal could make its way back to Oklahoma. Aren't those great stories? And yet we learn something from those stories, don't we? Stories are a great way to teach a lesson, and that's what we're doing as we go through the book of Ruth. And you know what makes a story really special? It's when someone says, it's a true story. Those stories about my granddad, they're true. At least I I hope they're true. (laughs) I'm remembering them right. And this story of Ruth, it's a true narrative. It's a history lesson. This would be one of the ways that the Hebrew people would have encouraged one another. They would have instructed each other. 
See, I could come in this morning and I could say, hey, I'm going to give you a lesson today on devotion. So here, let me read the definition of Webster's, devotion, Webster's definition of devotion. The fact or the state of being ardently dedicated and loyal. There you go. Do you understand devotion? Eh, you got some facts. But when I start telling you stories of devotion, and I'm going to tell you a lot of stories today, so settle in. we got some more stories coming. When you walk out today, you're going to have a clearer picture of what devotion is, not because we defined it, but because you see it worked out in the lives and the story of people in the Bible and people around us. So I'm going to invite you to make your way to back to Ruth. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. Last week, when Lance started us on this journey, he started us talking about stories. And one of the things he did was he gave us a very thorough definition of story. I loved a couple of lines from that. He said, a story expresses how and why life changes. As I, showed, as I told you that story about my grandfather, we know that the reason their life changed was because of their devotion to one another. And they went north, and then they went west, and then they came back. And we learned about how, and we learned about why. And you also learn a little bit about who. You learn a little bit about me when I share that story. Stories are powerful. One of the other things Lance said in that example was stories, a good story is often about restoring balance to imbalance. And last week's story was a story of despair. We saw Ruth and Naomi at a really, really low point. Naomi's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And Ruth has lost her husband. They don't know what to do. It's a dark time. These stories would have been told around the dinner table or at bedtime. And little Hebrew children, I can just imagine in my mind as I was working through this, this message, I can see a little girl going, Abba, Abba. Abba is what Hebrew children called their daddy. And Ema was what they would call their mama. Abba, tell me more about Ruth. Oh, more about Ruth. Okay, okay. Where were we in the story last night when you went to bed? Naomi was really sad, Daddy. Naomi was really sad. Yes, that's right. She said her name was, her name was Mara. And yes, what does that name mean? It means bitter, bitter. It was a bad time. But as we ended that story last week, there was this little note of hope. When they came back to Jerusalem, they came back and it was harvest time. And we're going to begin the story today with another little note of hope. Open your Bibles there again to chapter 2, and let's look at what we start off with now in the story. We read, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now let's just stop there. It's a strange way to start a story about Ruth. We have this other guy introduced. But this is a way of giving a little glimmer of hope. Imagine the child sitting there waiting. Well, well wait a minute. That was sad. That's bad. Is this story just going to get worse and worse? And so the person who's writing this narrative, this biography of what takes place, he introduces a note of hope. There's an important word in there. Notice that word worthy. If you follow along with Hebrew language, this is the word gibor. Maybe you've heard the phrase mighty man of valor. This is the word mighty. This is the word for strong. This is the word we would translate it in our language, hero. See, what's being communicated is, okay, there's somebody out there. There's somebody out there who's worthy, who's mighty. Let that be in your mind as we move into the story. And so then we come to chapter, I mean, to verse 2, 
And now we pick up the beginning of a very, very long day in the life of Ruth. It's kind of an interesting chapter. This is a chapter that chronicles one day in the name of a a woman who otherwise we wouldn't know anything about. One long, one very sweaty, labor-intensive day. Look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite, she can't ever get away from that title, title there, can she? Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain and after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Okay, we're going to stop there. There's two words I want you to be sensitive to. Look towards the end, you see the word favor. It's a Greek word for grace. All right, it's a Hebrew word that could be translated grace. And in some translation, it says, let me go out that I may find favor. I may find grace. I may find someone to take mercy on us. Do you know what this tells us? She needs help. Her and Naomi are in bad way. They need someone to look at their situation and care, <clears throat> and care about what's going on. They need someone to move into their life. We know it's a, it's a difficult situation because of another word, a word that you're not very familiar with, and I'm not either. It's the word glean. In an agricultural world, what they would do, one of the laws in Leviticus was that, the, that God told farmers, don't, don't harvest all the way to the corners of your field. Leave a little bit there for the poor, the poorest of the poor. They would come into the field and they would glean. And you and I hear that and go, <clears throat> okay, that's a, that's a great provision. They get to have food. We're missing the point. If you're from an agrarian society, you know what gleaning means. It means you are, you are at the bottom. You are poor. You're going to go out and pick up the scraps, the crumbs, and hopefully get enough. I have a story. When I was growing up in a very rural area, the local farmers raised cotton and wheat. Well, when it was time for the cotton to grow, we didn't use a lot of herbicides in that time. And so farmers would hire people from the community to come into the field and hoe cotton, chop cotton. If you don't know what a garden hoe is, it's this long stick with a sharp blade on the end. And you would hire people, lots of people, to go out into the fields. And you would start at one end and you would work your way back and you would chop the weeds out of the row so that the cotton stripper wouldn't get caught up in all the weeds. I was in elementary school. My sister was eight years older than me. And she signed us up one day to chop cotton. Now, I want to tell you, I'll make a confession. I was not the brightest student in the world, but I learned something that day. I learned I did not want to grow up to be a professional cotton chopper. When you chop cotton, you're at this angle almost all day. You're going back like this, and the heat, the sun's bearing down, and you're in that posture. And when you get done with that day, believe me, you know you've done something. Your body aches, your head aches, and when a person that's familiar with what they're talking about gleaning, this was a long, hard, sweaty day. Ruth would have spent all the day like this, picking up little bitty fragments of grain to survive. That's where they are in their life. Things are desperate. Things are bad. And notice the favor that she's hoping for. Maybe somebody will let me do that. You have a clearer picture now of the story of what's going on, of how desperate they are and what she's about to do in this really long day. Well, let's read through verse 7 and see a little bit more of how the story flows out. 
starting in verse 3. So she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers, he answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She has said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves and the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from the early morning until now, except for a short rest. Except for a short rest. That word for morning means dawn. A little bit more context for our story. I want you to understand what this day was like. Moabites were enemies of Israel in the times of the judges. She was not, she had this kind of mark upon her, like, who is this person? Can we trust her? She's not just a stranger in a strange land. She's a stranger in a land of people that may not like her very much just because of where she's from. And she's going to get up to be in the field at dawn. Guess when you need to leave? Before dawn. She's going to walk out into a countryside she's unfamiliar with. She's going to walk down roads she's unfamiliar with. And she is going to approach men in the field as a single woman. And she's going to ask for the permission to glean that lowest of low labors. That's the kind of day Ruth is having here. That's the kind of place that she is. And what humility. Do you notice that she has to ask? So we started this process of understanding what devotion is. I broke your outline into three sections. Right now we're in the first section where we talk about how, how devotion requires sacrifice. It's going to require the sacrifice of sweat. We just talked about that. It's also going to require the sacrifice of pride. This isn't a, a proud thing. You don't, you don't glean your way to glory, okay, in the world system. This is a... This is going to require some humility on her part. And when I think through the realities of this day, and I think about what she's doing, it made me think about another story in the Gospels, in Jesus, in his life, in his account that we have. In Mark 10, there's a series of where the disciples are all arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They're very ambitious. They want to make their way up the, the chain here. And Jesus starts having these conversations with them about what that looks like. But his kingdom is, is upside down. He says things like, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Huh? Yeah, whoever would be great among you, let him be the servant of all. In fact, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And in verse 45 of chapter 10 of Mark, we read this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When I look at Ruth's life and I look at the day that she's having and I see her serving, her devotion to Naomi, it would have been easier to stay in Moab. But she loves Naomi and she's willing to go out and ask for the privilege of picking up the crumbs in the field. Robert Utley says this about that verse in Mark 10, Jesus doesn't discourage greatness or ambition but he defines true greatness as service and humility. Service and humility. I wanted to emphasize this point for this reason. 
Boaz isn't the only mighty person of valor in this story. By Jesus' standards, what we see is Ruth. Ruth is a mighty woman of valor. Ruth, by Jesus' definition, by his upside-down kingdom rules, she is a person of, man, stainless steel character. Getting up before the sun, walking out into the field, the courage that that had to take. Which brings me to the last point in this idea of sacrifice. There's not specific verse in this section to point to, but as the story unfolds, what we see is safety was a real issue. Boaz is going to tell the men not to harm her. Naomi is going to celebrate later that, Naomi, that he, she now has protection. You know what? When you're devoted to someone, it involves risk. Sometimes you give up this opportunity to be perfectly safe and, and perfectly in just the right place. When Ruth went out, she sacrificed safety. So that's the story of sacrifice and devotion. But that's not all that we want to learn about devotion. Devotion also extends grace. That's that word favor. It extends grace. And let's see what we can learn about that. Let's see what we learned from Boaz now. We're going to hear a little bit more about him. Look back in our story here at verse 8. Then Boaz said, notice that he approaches her. Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men, notice, not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, what he's doing here is he's making provision for her. He's making sure she's provided. When you're devoted to someone, you're looking out for their interest. We see devotion in Boaz, too. Boaz is a man of God. He, he believes in God's word. He's a mighty man of valor. He greets his, his laborers with a greeting from the Lord. And what we see here is he extends grace to this one who needs it, who's in a desperate situation. Notice what we read in verse 10. This is Ruth's response. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I, now notice, found favor in your eyes, that you should take, the not take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know before. The other thing that grace does when you're devoted to people and their well-being it pays attention. When you're devoted to people and their well-being, you pay attention. He's been listening. He knows that Ruth is in town. He knows what she's done, and he's watched her. He's heard the report of her happening to be in his field here. What about that idea? She just happened to find that field in the dark. You know, there's someone else at work in this story. We don't ever hear him speak, but what we see taking place here is God is at work guiding Ruth along. She was humble. She knew she needed grace, and she went out looking for it. The power of a story. Can you imagine centuries later, two Hebrew women going through a difficult time, maybe sitting at a table and talking, and one says, I just don't know what I'm going to do. My, my husband's dead, and the, the kids need this, and there's, there just doesn't seem, what am I going to do? And the other one says, what happened in the story of Ruth? Well, she knew she needed help. I, I know I need help. And, and she looked for favor. And, and so the two women say, 
Let's look to God for favor. Let's call out to God for favor. And that story of Ruth would support them and underpin them in their movements. You see, stories teach us and stories connect us. If Ruth, who we're going to find out later is in the lineage of Jesus, if she needed help, well, surely it's okay for me to be humble enough to admit that I need help too. These are powerful stories that move, that move people to do things. What I want you to see in this next section is that grace, the devotion, grace that comes from devotion, goes above and beyond. Look at verse 12 with me. The Lord repay you what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, that's an important phrase. Ruth didn't just leave a geography. She left the wicked god, Chemosh, and she has come to a new land, and she told Naomi, your God will be my God. And here we see she's come to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, and you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, notice this, above and beyond, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and passed, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. She had a doggy bag. Look at that. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Don't reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her. Leave it, in the, leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. <coughs> Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now that word ephah doesn't mean a whole lot to you or me. Scholars think it was about 30 pounds of grain. I don't know if that impresses you or not, but that's about 10 days worth of food. It's also about twice of what the reapers would have gotten for their daily wages. He went above and beyond. You know what? He could have passed the buck. You're going to find out next week if you keep coming back to us for more of this story. There's a, there's a relative closer that has more responsibility to, to Ruth Boaz could have passed the buck, but he didn't. He goes above and beyond. He says, leave a little extra. Make sure she gets more. She goes back with 30 pounds of grain. Do you, do you know how big of a deal that had to be to her? They were barely surviving, and now they have over a week and a half of food. Have you ever had someone move into your life at, the, at a really low time, at a time where you didn't know where else to turn? I've had that happen to me. It's happened to my family. And I'm going to share the story with you. About nine years ago, my wife's health had gotten really, really bad. We were going to experts, specialists, and we were asking for help. She had chronic migraines, and we couldn't seem to get on top of them. One of them lasted six weeks. It was horrible. Had one specialist look at me and shrug his shoulders. I don't know what to do. While that was going on with her, I started developing a pain in my leg and found out I was going to have to have surgery on my leg for a bone spur that I had. So what we have, the situation is the doctor bills are going this way, Lynette's not working, and, and our insurance was going up, so income was going down, 
And then we're sitting in the living room that day, and we look up, and the crack in the roof that used to be really small is starting to get bigger. And then the ceiling starts to look like it's going to fall down. Well, guess what? We have a foundation problem. And then we find out we have a foundation leak. There's water coming up through our concrete. And then all of this is taking place. Then we find out we have a gas leak in the backyard, and it's on our side of the meter. We're responsible for that to be repaired. And then there was a hailstorm that destroyed our roof and damaged our cars. And then there was a plague of locusts that came. No, that part. <laughs> the locust part is the only fabricated part. Everything else is true. Isn't that crazy? But you've had seasons of life like that. Some of you are going through a season of life like that right now. And you don't know where to turn. You know, we had to let people know that we, we needed favor. We, we didn't know where to turn. We didn't know what to do. The things that had mounted up in our life were beyond what we could do. And little bit at a time, we saw little hints and little drops of grace that came along. And as I look back at that story, I can see God in the background. He wasn't talking in those days. <laughs> I didn't hear him very clearly, but he was there. It just so happened, like she happened into the field, it just so happened that we had one of the last insurance clauses written in Wichita Falls that actually covered foundation problems. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't happen much anymore. And so we were able to get the house, start to get the house, be put back together. And step by step, God walked us through that time. But here's the over and beyond, the above and over, the overflowing love that we received. We got the house fixed, and we decided it would be wise to move and to downsize for a while while we dealt with all of these issues. We got the house on the market, it sold, and then moving day came. We're mentally, we're spiritually, we're physically, we're emotionally exhausted still. Things are looking better, but we're still wore out. And we let a few people know, and you know, we had 18 people, most of them from this church, show up on moving day. And that three-bedroom house with an extended attached studio and a tool shed in the back was loaded in an hour onto a truck. It looked like a bunch of fire ants just going this way and that way. And that truck was loaded. It was driven across town. It was unloaded in 45 minutes. And when that day was over, we had people stay and put shelf paper in our cabinets and help put pots and pans away. And you know what it did for us? It gave us hope. It was like a lifeline. It was like God's grace was being poured out to us through God's people. That's what's happening here. Open back up. Let's see what it does for Ruth and Naomi. Let's start in verse 18. In verse 18, we read this, And she took it, that's the 30 pounds of grain, and she went up into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied. That's the doggy bag. And her mother-in-law said to her, Now here's where printed words kind of become <clears throat> a little dry. We need some inflection here. I'm pretty sure she went, girl, where did you glean today? Because people don't come back with 30 pounds of grain. Look at what she says. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she said she worked and said, that man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord who's kind. Now just stop. What is Naomi doing? She's talking about God here. 
Before we finish that verse, look back at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 21. The last time Naomi talked about God, this is important. The last time Naomi talked about God, this is what she said. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Remember Lance last week, he said Naomi's attitude was probably something like, well, yes, God's good, but I'm not sure he's that good. You've had moments like that. I've had moments like that. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter, call me Mara. I would have said nine years ago, don't call me Joe, call me Job. (laughs) Made more sense. But now look at how Naomi talks about the Lord in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord, the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. There's hope. You see, when people give of their time, when they sacrifice labor, when they sacrifice their, their, their pride, when they sacrifice all of these things, when they initiate grace and they bring it into your life, it's a lifeline. It breathes life into us. Devotion. This is the story of devotion. God's people extending God's love to others. When we talk about devotion, what we're really talking about is we're talking about the greatest love that there is. Share a couple of verses here with you. Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The greatest love is life laying down love. That's what Ruth was doing. That's what my granddad was doing when he made that trip and when his dad made that trip. They laid down a little bit. That's what those people were doing that came and moved our furniture and, and spent all that time with. They're laying down their life a little bit at a time for us. That's the greatest love. That's an important kind of love. John, the apostle, is going to talk about that. He's going to expand upon that in the first epistle that he writes. And he writes this, By this we know love. That's a huge statement. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. It's our calling to lay down our life for people, to be devoted to people. And look at what he says. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love, in, not in not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We express God's love when we give of what we have, whether it's time, money, or resources. These are the ways that we, these are the ways that we share God's love with people. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that as I have loved, that you love one another just as I have loved you, and you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is only possible if we do what Reggie talked about this morning. You have to have a life source coming into you. If you're on an airplane that's going to have a problem and the oxygen falls down, you're told before you put the oxygen on your, your child, put it on yourself. You have to be connected to the source of life. If you're, not a, uh, if you're not in Christ, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, today would be a great day to do that. But then what we have to do after that is abide. And one of the ways that we abide in Him is we tell the stories to ourselves. The true stories, the gospel story, each and every day. One, one commentator has said it this way, preach the gospel to yourself each and every day. I'll tell you something else. 
Tell yourself the stories of your life where people have moved in. Remind yourself and think about the stories going on all around you. My grandfather that was born in 1901, he lived to 2001. And he was just a couple months shy of 100. And I saw my parents take care of him, express devotion to him. I have ingrained in my mind walking into their house one day and my father on the floor kneeling at the feet of my grandfather in his late 90s, washing, caring for his feet in some way. Devotion humbles itself. Devotion cares. I think of a hospice patient that we had. When I was told we had a new patient, I was told that this man had been... been um, bedbound for six years. And when I was going into that house, what I expected was to find a dark and gloomy person. His wife was providing all the care, day in, day out. And I thought, man, this is going to be, this is grueling. If you've ever provided personal care for someone day in and day out, you can only imagine six years. And do you know what? When I walked into that room, it was filled with light. That man he laid in that bed. She had the window shades up. The grandchildren would come in and watch cartoons around him. It was a happy place. It was a joyful place. Every nurse, every aide, every doctor, every, every uh, social worker that went in said, that's an amazing place. I said, that's an amazing place. That's the difference devotion makes. It takes darkness and it brings light. We would all say he, he almost shines. We think she polishes him. And he's always smiling. It was. I'll never forget it. And I look around this room and I look at parents who get up in the middle of the night and take care of their kids. I look at some single parents who get up and do the job of two. I've seen single mothers. I've seen single fathers. I know some parents who are taking care of kids with special needs. And I know couples that haven't had kids but have shared such devotion with the kids of others that it's going to pay dividends for generations. Singles who give of their time Students who give of their time, serving in our ministries here and serving around the community, helping out people in their dorm room. All of these things, that's, that's laying down your life kind of love. That's the kind of love we're called to. This whole book is the story of devotion, God's devotion for you. He sacrificed and he extended grace and it provides us with hope. And he's still writing the story. And he's writing it in your life, in my life. Every time we lay our life down just a little bit for someone else, we're continuing the story of devotion. Let us abide. Let us keep telling ourselves the stories. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stonelight Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.